Google ads is the most, it's the most effective and it's also the largest advertising platform on planet earth. People don't necessarily realize this. It is the most profitable, highest grossing advertising platform in the world. Do a quick Google search for your type of business. Now, the first three to four results are all ads. Take a look at the ads you see. Are you there? Chances are your competitors are. Google ads is an outstanding way to reach customers actively looking for the products and services you offer. It's not only a great way to stand out and dominate your local market, but it is also a great way to compete with bigger brands. Now, bigger brands may have the advantage when it comes to budget, but they don't hold all the cards. Even on a small budget, you can get great results by leveraging Google ads. You just heard from Isaac Rudansky. Isaac went from a struggling artist trying to sell his paintings online to running Adventure Media Group, one of the top digital agencies in New York. He and his team have consulted with over 550 plus companies, some of which include Forbes Magazine, Haynes, and AMC Networks. Isaac is also an educator. His full-length online courses have over 250,000 plus students enrolled, and I am also one of those students. So I was happy to get Isaac on the show today to talk about how small businesses could leverage Google ads to grow their business. I think there's some good information here, so give it a listen. You and I, we own small businesses, and we need digital marketing to maximize our online presence. But the online space seems to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. This is Get a Grip on your marketing podcast. No BS, actionable marketing advice to help you leverage digital marketing and get what you offer in front of more people. So buckle up. Put on your thinking caps and get ready to grow. Now, here's your host, Daniel Parchment. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Get a Grip on Your Marketing podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Parchment. And as you heard in the intro today, we're going to be talking with Isaac Rudansky. Isaac, thanks for being here. It is a pleasure to have you on the show. Listen, I'm honored and humbled and I think this is going to be a a fun time. Great, Isaac. Great. So one of the things that, you know, leading up to our show, I've been researching and you came from a struggling artist to now owning one of the top PPC firms, if not in the U.S., I would say in the world. You know, talk to me a little bit more about that. Well, I could definitely talk for the next hour or so about that. So you'll have to stop me when I'm going on too much. It, I appreciate uh, your way of describing our current agency. I think we are doing well, but there's always there's always room to grow. But starting out, going back to 2011 or 2012, I forget exactly when. I was certainly a struggling artist. Um, well, I definitely was struggling. I convinced myself I was an artist. I was trying to sell my artwork. I was painting, painting sort of abstract, more impressionistic artwork. I think I still have a website active. I think it's 
I think it's www and you have, it's one, it's one of these weird ways I set up the, the Squarespace domain when I first learned how to make a website. And I think you still have to type in, I don't think I ever did a redirect of the, of the, I never put a C name redirect. So it's www.rudanskyart.com or isaacrudanski.com or something like that. I actually might have some of my paintings there, but this was way before I had a website. I was, I, I was exhibiting in art festivals along the East coast of Long Island of, of New York, primarily in Long Island during the summer months. So there was Montauk, there was Quag, there was West Hampton. And I would, I was recently married. I didn't really have any money. I convinced my parents to help me buy the tent, which, cause you, in order to go to these art festivals, you needed these, you needed panels. The tent itself is not so expensive. The tent is just like, I don't know, maybe it's like 70, 80 bucks, but the panels are like $800, like these felt panels that you set up the walls where you hang your artwork on and you, and the artist has to bring their own panels. So then it's like transportation. So I had to bungee these like 12 heavy panels to the roof of my father-in-law's car. Cause I didn't have a car bungee them up. I put all my actual artwork in the trunk with the seats down and then lots of other gear. There was like a credit card machine and tablecloth and a folding table. The, the, every square inch of the car was packed. Um, and the roof was maybe five or six feet piled with, with up in height of the, of the panels laying horizontally. So I would drive out my, I would drive my stuff out. This is the summer. It was hot. I would set up the, the booth. I would sit there all day. Uh, I sold a few paintings here and there. Uh, I don't even think it was enough to cover the costs of the festival entry fees. Although maybe I don't really remember. And I liked it. Listen, it was, it was like, you're, you're out there, you're hustling, you're, you're, you're baking in the sun. You're selling your art. One trip back to where I live out close to the city it started pouring rain. So the, everything got soaked. A lot of the artwork got soaked. The frames were all broken. I'm lugging my artwork back up into my apartment. Like half of my canvases had to go to Huntington, Long Island, which is like, you know, one hour East. And then the rest of the artwork was able to fit in my little apartment, which was another 45 minutes towards the city. And everything was just soaking wet. It was a long day. I was absolutely exhausted. And I was like, I have to have a website. Like, this is just insane. And at the time I didn't know that I People think that I'm very technologically savvy. I'm savvy if you compare it with your grandparents, but I'm not like some, I'm I'm no, I'm no tech. I was never a tech guy or a tech kid by any means. Um, And I thought like, there's no, I thought I can't afford a website. Websites are like, you know, Google, Facebook, they, they make websites. A regular person doesn't have a website. I don't have thousands of dollars to pay a developer to make a website. And then I was on the, I heard on the radio one day, shortly thereafter, an ad for a company called Squarespace. So Squarespace at the time was just starting out. Now Squarespace is a huge company. Anyone who's heard of Wix and, and Shopify, they probably have heard of Squarespace. It's based, and the radio ad promised that anybody without any coding experience, even beginners, it was an awesome ad. It was like really a great ad if you want to talk about copywriting. But it's like, you could be a total beginner and you could make a website. You don't need to know a single ounce of code. And you don't even have to pay any money. Make it for free. I was like, that's no way that could be true. But anyway, I went to my computer that night. Uh, I don't know. It was, let's say it was 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock. And I went to squarespace.com. And I probably sat in that recliner in my apartment for 11 hours without getting up. And I made a website for my art. And I was like, the most exhilarating experience I have ever had 
in the six years in business was like, wow, I have an actual website with an active shopping cart. I bought a domain for $11. It was what it was like, holy smokes, this is nuts. I told my family about it, my friends. It was crazy. And then after a day or so, I figured like, well, how do I get people to come to my website? And that's what brought me down the wormhole of research where I discovered Google AdWords. And it was Google AdWords at the time. Now it's Google Ads. It was called Google AdWords. And I, I didn't even know that Google was an advertising company. I didn't know at the time that Google had an advertising product. I was happy, I was like 46% of the country that doesn't realize that four out of four, four results, the first four results on the Google search page are actually ads. And I found, I just found it so fascinating. One, it was new information. Two, it promised an immediate ability to promote a website in a very targeted way. I could choose how much I want to spend. I could choose what searches to show an ad for. I could be the first one on a page. I don't have to do months and months of SEO and writing articles and paying for backlinks. It was like in 20 minutes, I could have my freaking ads up. Like that's, it was insane. That was even, and that was the second most excited I have ever been in six years. So I opened a Google ads account. I learned everything I can. I spent another three nights like in my armchair, just sitting there reading, 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 messing around. I built a campaign. I was spending $10 a day. I was like, I was like, I called my mother. I was like, go to Google, search for oil paintings for sale. I was like, she's like, holy crap. Like your ads there. It's, it's like, what do you do? Like, are you working for Google now? I was like, yeah, I guess I'm sort of working for Google now. Um, or a Google customer now. And I started running campaigns. I got some traffic at the end of the day. I don't think people wanted to buy original oil paintings for a few thousand dollars off a website from a no-name artist in Long Island. But I was like, okay, I think I have a pretty good foundation on Google ads, Google AdWords. I, I need money. I just spent, I don't know, two weeks learning everything I could about it. Let me teach other people how to do it. Like I have a, I felt like I had a good way of explaining things, distilling it down to what a keyword is, what an ad group is, the hierarchy of an account. I said, I'll teach people how to do it. So then I went to Squarespace. I made another website. It was called the adwordsacademy.com or something like that. Long story, in the future, Google tried to sue us for that domain name. And we, we, we got them to drop the suit because we agreed that we would change the company name, the URL, but we, needed, we wanted to maintain ownership of the actual address and, and do a 301 redirect uh, for whatever backlinks were coming to adwordacademy.com. But anyway, shortly thereafter that, I realized that maybe the model of this is my second failure. My my maybe teaching people how to do AdWords was not the best business. I think you know I thought the agency model might work better, just doing it for them, managing accounts for them. And I spent, and I talk about this a lot. I, I looked at other agencies, and I just copied them. There was nothing unique, crazy original. I copied their website. I copied their pricing pages and I spent a lot of time trying to copy them well. And I always approach, and I tell the same thing with, uh, to my clients, like we approach competition with the attitude that we could learn something from them with a healthy amount of respect for competition. So anyway, and then over time, of course, you, you, once you know the rules and once you've copied the experts, and if you go to listen, if you, if you want to, if you want to learn how to write and you go and listen to Stephen King or Dan Brown's or Neil Gaiman's masterclass on writing, they all say the same thing. They all say, copy the, uh, copy the authors that you like. That's how you start. That's how you, that's how you develop your own voice eventually when you know the rules. Um, so I copied and copied and ran some advertising, some AdWords campaigns for the agency. We, it took a long time to get our first couple clients, but we did, or I did. And 
it was from, I don't know. I don't know at what point I was working out of my, my apartment at some point after I had a bunch of clients that, and I was like working around the clock. I was maybe sleeping three, four hours a night because half the day I was spent servicing the clients. Part of the day I was, I spent learning this stuff because I really didn't know a lot of it. The other part of the day I spent on the website and the marketing. And then the other part of the day I was trying to build clients and collect from clients and figure out a phone system. And then over time, um, I hired a kid in the Philippines full-time. And then I brought somebody into my apartment full-time who's still with me today. He's our, our oldest, uh, I guess, longest tenured employee. And uh, we worked out of our, he was at my kitchen table. I was back to back with him basically in the living room, which was all, that was the entire apartment. Um, and then at some point we moved to a small office nearby and we, we hired somebody on salary, our first employee actual employee because the first guy who joined me was was more of a commission based structure where he was you know we were getting a lot of leads and i can go back to talking about education but at that some point i started producing some educational content and that's what started driving leads um and and we could talk about that if we want the, the idea of content and content development and how that has progressed over the years um and at some point i felt like okay maybe this is going to be my job maybe i'm gonna this is what i'm gonna do uh, for a living i'm gonna have an agency and we've grown. We haven't grown very quickly, but we've grown and we've grown organically and we produce good work and we have a great team and we have great clients. We have a good reputation in the industry. Um, and I, I love what we do. It's it's difficult, but it's challenging. It's rewarding. It's a, to me, it's a good, I like the, I like the blend of creativity and, and data science. Um, I like selling our services. I like working on client accounts. I like, I love the team. Like I get to come to work with a team that I really feel would be my best friends out of the office. They're just a, such a fun group of guys and girls. Um, and there's a lot of energy and passion and intelligence. And I think it's a good industry. So that's sort of the story long and short of how we got started. Got it. So that sounds, you know, it's, it's, it's typical where you like, let's say for example, you don't know a lot about Google ads. You go, you go down this rabbit hole of learning about Google ads from content development, content creation. First, you were like, you were selling oil paintings and you were saying, okay, now I need traffic to that website. After you finished building the website, you said, okay, traffic, how do I get traffic? You had a problem, right? And you, you came up with the solution yourself to get traffic to that website. So that's, that is pretty impressive. Now, you know, I read that um, in your bio, you have almost a quarter, a quarter of a million students and plus plus additional in your agency overdrive program. Yeah. So at some point after we were, this was probably 2014. So we were still very new. There was some success or a good deal of success with a YouTube video I posted which I think you mentioned to me when we first started talking and it was like a one hour long tutorial. And I spent a lot of time on that. Like that, it wasn't just a joke. Like, and I, it was, I look back at it now and I laugh cause like, listen, it was, it was, it was a very beginner. It's funny to me now to watch that, but regardless, it took a long time cause it was scripted. I didn't know how to, I had to learn how to use video editing software. I did it all myself. It was info infographics. I had to create a Google ads account. It was in, it was an hour long. The video is an hour long, but if anyone who's ever done video knows for every minute of video, there's probably five minutes of work that goes into it, you know, at least if not more. Um, and I would say in this case more, I probably spent 50 hours or so working on this one hour YouTube tutorial, but there, it was successful. got a lot of views and people liked it and we got clients from it. And I said, maybe we'll transition this into a, a, an actual course. 
So I, long story short, I, I trans, I transformed my apartment, which the entire apartment was basically one room. So we had one bigger room, which was the living room, the dining room, everything kitchen. And I moved out the couch. I put a whiteboard up, bought some lights on Amazon. I bought a camera. I had to learn how to use a camera, bought a microphone, had to learn how to use a microphone. Um, I had to learn how to light a whiteboard, which entailed lining my ceiling with tin foil. So I could bounce the light back down on the whiteboard without creating a glare. Because if you point softbox lights at a whiteboard, you're going to have a very harsh glare. And I recorded a course again, all myself. And I did all the editing myself and it was a huge amount of work. And it was, and it's a 30 hour course. Um, I tried selling that course on my own, on my own website. It didn't work. It was very difficult to get um, traction. And then I eventually uploaded the course onto these course marketplaces, most notably Udemy, which is like an eBay for buying and selling courses. And there was already a lot of AdWords courses in the category, in the AdWords category. There was maybe 30 different courses that covered AdWords. But I think after the first month, sales were very slow. But in the second month, we really took off. And I think we got like 30,000 students buying the course in that month or 20,000 students, something like that. Um, and since then, it's it's been a pretty popular AdWords course. Uh, thankfully, maybe it was a mixture of timing and luck. But I think it also, it was just a longer, more thorough course than what else was out there. I'm not saying it's an, it's, I think it's, a, I think it's a good course. I don't think it's any stroke of genius. I just think it was better than what was that existed. And, and in general, content creators need to understand that, that you don't need to be the best. You, you don't need to be, you don't need to be producing the most groundbreaking ingenious work. And usually people procrastinate and they don't, they don't start these projects because they think, well, I, I can't do it. I can't make it amazing. It's can't be, it's not going to be as good as I could possibly be. You're right. Anything you actually do will likely be not as good as it could possibly have been had you put more time into it or had put it off longer or you aged, whatever. But you got to get it out there. You got to do something. You got you to just go. But as you're looking, you need to be better than what exists. You have to compete in the marketplace. And I saw that the existing Google AdWords courses... Um, and that, comp- by the way, that competitive drive is so important. Unfortunately, in, in the world we live in, uh, where we are discouraging competition in the schools today, um, in the workplace environment, all of a sudden competition is 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 being insensitive. Uh, uh, competence in general, like to, to, to I, I I wonder. Actually, I'm just it just struck me. Just does the word competence and competition come from the same root? It sounds like it does. Competent competition, but um competence, competition, uh, achievement. These are things that are being looked down on. And it's the worst possible thing. Because if you're going to go and, and, and create successful content, you have to be able to evaluate how good yours is in a hierarchy of good. And you need to be better. And there's such a thing as better. And it's admirable to be better. And, and, everyone has, and everyone should have the same fair opportunity to compete. But if you're going to go in, into, if you're going to put up a, in, you know, good luck trying to put up a course on a topic where there's 30 other courses and yours is no better than the other 29 that exist. Good luck. How many sales are you going to get? Well, maybe at the best, you'll get one in 30. But if you have, if there's 30 other pieces of content that it's competing with yours and you want to get more than one in 30, best case scenario then you got to be better and you have to know how to evaluate that. So I looked at it and I was like, to me, it was an easy, it was, it was an easy market to enter because while there was a lot of content, I, I bought some of these courses and they were very short. They were very shallow. The production quality wasn't high. And I said, I'm just going to make it longer. I'm going to make it better. 
I'm going to make the production quality higher. I'm going to invest in a proper mic. So if my voice sounds good, I'm going to invest in a proper light for a hundred dollars. So the lighting is good. And, um, my, my course will look and appear better. And I think that's what, that's what has happened now. It's already a little bit outdated and it's very hard for me to keep these things up to out, up to date. Um, but it's been, it's, yeah. So I think, I think there's something like 240,000, 230,000 students around the world, uh, which is, which really is, is such an enormous uh, honor. And it really does. Like it, it, it means a lot to me. Like I, I, it, it, uh, it makes me feel very good about myself. That's what it comes down to. Right. Now you brought up this idea and it, it just struck me as well. When you said competence and competition, I think a lot of people today, especially in the business side of things or like anything in general, it's they shy away from competition. I for me personally, I love competition. Why? Because I get to learn from them. Mm-hmm. I get to learn if 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 the, the, I look at my competitors, people who are at the top of the industry as they, they're setting the bar, right? They're setting the benchmark. Right. I have a bench, something to measure myself against. If you if you're shying away from competition, you have no benchmark. So ideally, it's so true. I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more. I could not agree with you more. And we're in a world now where that is such a discouraged attitude to have. Um, even even this whole thing of like, oh, only compete against yourself. I was like, well, that's nice if you're like some intrinsically self-motivated, perfect person. But most people, if they don't have external competition, they won't compete against themselves. So no, compete against others. That doesn't, that, that doesn't mean beat yourself up. That doesn't mean get depressed. That doesn't mean, does, that doesn't mean to, to paint yourself in such a harsh light when you fail. It's a balance. On one hand, you have to be you have to be discontent with your performance. You have to push yourself. You have to say, "I could be better." Look at what this person is doing. On the other hand, you also have to be aware of your limitations. Be aware of 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 be, be able to feel good that you made an effort too. Like so, it's a fine balance. And I'm and I'm and I'm not I'm not saying that I'm a psychologist, but it's clear that you it's not all or nothing. You could it, a person could at the same time feel unhappy with their performance and a a sense of discontent with where they are, a sense of I could do better. And at the same time, feeling good about who I am and what I've done with myself and what I've done with my life. That that's brilliantly said, Isaac, that is brilliantly said. Now, just to dial back a little bit, you know, we've been talking about standing out from the competition. And I think one of the most quickest ways, especially for a local business, one of the most quickest ways to do that and ideally be profitable from it in not not necessarily immediately but within a reasonable time frame is standing out with using google ads so can you die we mentioned that a little bit earlier today from you setting up a website that needed traffic using google ads to get the traffic can you talk to me a little bit more about you know what exactly is google ads how does google ads work and you know where do the, the ads show up Absolutely. Google ads is the most, it's the most effective and it's also the largest advertising platform on planet earth. People don't necessarily realize this. It is the most profitable, highest grossing advertising platform in the world. This is Google, This is how Google makes money. We all know what Google is. They are a search engine, right? They're a search en- They're a, They're an advertising company disguised as a search engine. The, the value that they provide to their customers, they have a few different customers. They have searchers and they have advertisers, two of their customers. Searchers get, in, get a, it's a portal to access the internet, information on the internet. 
For advertisers, it's a way to get customers. Right. So if you're either your Pepsi or your mom and pop shop that does uh, gutter repairs, Google is a way to get customers to advertise your services or your business or your products. The way it works, let's first start off with where, where they show up. When you do a Google search, you go to Google.com or you open up the Google app on your phone or you're even if you're doing a voice search, voice is going to be the next frontier. But let's just start simply. You go to your computer, you go to Google.com and you see the Google box and you type in um, things to do near me. Or I type in USB microphone for podcaster. Or I type in, um, you know, uh, LCD. Uh, I type in, um, let's see, an LED light bulb. Those are all searches and there's billions and there's billions of searches daily on Google. And Google shows me a bunch of results. This is where, my ad, this is where Google ads are appearing. At the top of the page, the first three results, sometimes the first four results, sometimes you'll see some image results. Those are ads. The fourth result and below, up until the second batch of ads, are typically what we call organic results. Um, those are the results that if you click on one of them, the publisher, the owner of the site, or the owner of the content which this, the, the, the link is clicking to does not pay. If you click on any of the ads the advertiser pays Google. Okay, so that's how it works economically. Now, let's just go with the LED light bulb example. Say you have a store. You might be Home Depot. You might be um, a kid in his mother's basement drop shipping an LED bulb, right? At two absolute opposite sides of the spectrum, but you both want to try to sell LED bulbs. Now, that's so we have two advertisers, okay? We have Home Depot. We have kid in his mom's basement. Now we have a third piece of the puzzle. You have somebody searching, you have a customer who's looking for an LED bulb. He's the guy who uh, just bought a house and he wants to replace all the bulbs in his home with, L with LEDs. He goes to Google and he's a savvy shopper. He likes to buy things on sale. He types L um, LED light bulb on sale. Google sends a bunch of, Google shows him a bunch of results. Google's gonna show ads. Both of our, our advertisers, Kid in the Basement and Home Depot, before, before um, let's say we'll call, we'll call our customer John. Before John came and did his search, both of these customers opened up Google AdWords accounts. Home Depot opened up an account and the Kid in the Basement opened up an account. They both told Google, they said, when somebody does a search for LED light bulbs, show my ad. Here's the ad I want you to show. They write an ad. They write funny headlines, good headlines. They show their sales. They, 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 they tell Google where the ad should lead somebody. So the kid in his basement sends it to his LED page that has a video of him you know, describing how the LED bulb works. Home Depot sends it to their category page of all their LED bulbs. And they also tell Google one more piece of in important information. They tell Google how much the most they're willing to pay for one of those clips. Okay, that's an important concept. First, Google only charges for clicks. So if Google shows Home Depot's ad 100 million times, but no one clicks it with a mouse or with a finger, Home Depot doesn't have any, any bill, no invoice. Google doesn't charge Home Depot anything. Only if uh, the ad is clicked does an advertiser pay. So, the so Home Depot and the kid in the basement, they both tell Google, the most they're willing to pay for a click, right? It's an auction. 
Once that ad runs, once the searcher, I'm sorry, so John goes and does his search. Once that search comes through to Google, Google sees, okay, one second, we have a search for LED light bulbs on sale. Let's see who, which advertisers told me they want to show an ad. They look through their system, they find kid in the basement and they find Home Depot. They say, okay, we have two ads eligible to show. What is the most they're willing to pay for a click? There's a bunch of other complex processes that are that are going on at the same time, like, first of all, taking into account potentially thousands of advertisers that want to compete for four spots, but also something called quality score, um, which is a pretty complicated topic, which impacts who gets to show an ad, where that ad shows. They look at your bid and they say, okay, they take the ads, they place them on the page. This all happens in a, in a matter of, I don't know, 10 milliseconds, 20 milliseconds. And your ads have been served. And if Home Depot's ad gets clicked, Home Depot's going to get charged for the click. If the kid in the basement's ad gets clicked, that kid is going to get charged regardless of whether or not he makes a sale. So think about this. Let's say this kid in the basement, he has you know $5,000 of bar mitzvah money and he spends $5,000. His idea is like, hey, I have this great website. I'm going to advertise on Google my LED bulbs and I'm going to turn my $5,000 into $20,000 because I'm a good businessman. He runs his ad campaign. His website was down. He never published his website live. So everybody who's clicking the ad is going to a 404 page or they're going to a broken checkout or he never looked at his PayPal account. Google's going to swipe his credit card for $5,000 worth of clicks. This guy didn't make a penny and he's out of luck. So that's a basic idea of how of how Google Ads works. Now, you know, the, I think one of the key takeaways from what you said, it's a lot of people believe that Google is just a search engine. But in fact, it's actually an advertising company as well. It 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 one of the things that Google does is tries to make sure that the, the, the end user, the people who are doing the searching, making sure that they show them relevant information. Why? Because they're a business. And if relevant information is not shown, the end user will ideally not go to Google, make Google the the go-to place for search. So that's one of the key things that you mentioned. And also that you only get charged when somebody clicks your ads. Uh, One of the the popular questions I get from clients, it's, oh, how much is, how much does Google ads cost? Well, ideally there it's, it's that you you set like a, a budget, but it's you only get charged every time that somebody clicks on your ad. There's no there's no necessarily set fee. Now, talk to me a little bit about from a competitive landscape. You know, we mentioned bids and everything like that. Who who's in charge of the bids, or how does that get set? So there's there's the traditional way of setting your bids is you tell Google how much you're willing to pay for a click on any given keyword. So the keyword is what you tell Google should trigger an ad and which ad and where that ad should go. Now let's say your, let's say your keyword is led light bulbs. Depending on your settings, there might be a few thousand specific searches that that keyword could trigger. So if my keyword that I tell Google is led light bulbs, if somebody searches led light bulbs near me, Google might, trigger your ad. If somebody searches for LED bulbs without the words for sale, your ads might get triggered. So I'll tell Google typically, the traditional way I'll tell Google, 
here's the most I'm willing to pay for a click. And the way we, we, the way you would figure that out is you would take your lifetime value. You would take your average order value. You would take the revenue, you would divide that by, or you would multiply it by your, your conversion rate. What percentage of clicks actually turn into a sale? What is your desired return on ad spend? How much do you want to aim as, as, as a multiple on, on profit for every dollar you spend? you want to make, how much money do you want to make back? Are you looking to break even and then expand? Are you willing to break even? Are you willing to lose a little bit? And then you basically figure out mathematically, very simply, how much I could pay for a click. So if I pay a dollar for a click, if I'm, if I'm willing to pay up to a dollar for a click um, and I have a 50% conversion rate, then my cost per conversion is going to be $2, right? So because one in every two, if I have a conversion rate of 25%, one in four, if I have a 10% conversion rate, my CPA is going to be $10, one in 10 clicks will convert. It's going to cost me $10 for every sale. If I make $10 on average per, per sale, then I'm happy with that. But if I have a 1% conversion rate, then I have to have a max CPC of 10 cents if my $10, if I'm making only $10 a sale. So it's all just very simple math. So I would tell Google for this keyword. The problem is that's a bad way of doing it. And here's why. Because that is just an average. My, my calculation is just, an, is just an average. And what I mean by that is let's say I have a, I'm telling Google for LED light bulb, I'm going to be willing to pay you a dollar based on my average statistics, based on my average conversion rate of 25%. So let's say I have $4, I, I profit $4, right? And I know I get a, I get a 25% average conversion rate. One in four people will take me up on this offer. It's a really good, it's an offer you almost can't refuse. So 25% conversion rate. This is just for the sake of the example. I'm willing to pay a dollar maximum. That $1 bid is actually going to be the wrong bid for every individual. So let's just take two people, for example. Let's just go back to our example. Um, and we'll add one more buyer. So we had John. John just bought a house. Google knows he bought a house. John has a history of researching LED products. John is a, uh, a Home Depot customer, loyalty customer. John drives a Prius. Google has built this profile around John. Google's using his, you Google, with Google's algorithms, they're able to predict that John actually doesn't, doesn't have a 25% convert, likelihood to convert. His likelihood to convert is 50%. Maybe it's 75% on this offer that Home Depot is making. In which case, the most you're willing to pay for John's click is actually $1.75. Because at a 75% conversion rate, $1.75, I'm not sure if I'm even doing the math exactly correct. The, the idea is though, I would still hit my $4 target CPA. Now let's say there's another buyer, Barbara. Barbara does the same exact search. The words they use are the same. She searches for LED light bulbs for sale, right? But she's, she works at a research center. She never has bought an LED product in her life. She drives a Hummer. Whatever. It's Google's profile of her. Her likelihood to convert on the, on the offer, maybe it's 1%, right? In which case, a dollar that you're telling Google is wrong. It should be 10 cents. Right. Um, so that's the problem with averages. So the, the alternative method that Google has developed over the years is called automated bidding where we no longer tell Google how much, we don't tell Google how much we're willing to pay for a click because who really cares? You don't care if you pay a dollar, $9, $1, doesn't matter how much you pay for a click. What really matters is how much profit you make, how much it costs you 
to generate a sale. So Google has built systems called automated bidding, where instead of telling Google how much you want to pay for a click, you could tell Google instead, here's how much I want to pay for a conversion. Here's how much I want to pay for a form submission. This is what I want to pay for a sale. Or I want to make $3 back for every dollar I spent. And that could, that could that you could only use that sort of bidding if you're also sending Google back revenue data. If Google knows, understands the revenue you're generating from your site, and you have that conversion tracking set up with, with revenue tracking, you could tell Google, I want to target target my advertising campaigns for a certain return on ad spend. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to hit these, these benchmarks, but it, what it means is Google will decide at time of auction what the appropriate max bid should be based on their understanding of who the person is. What is their predicted conversion rate? How much money is this person likely to generate for your business? And they'll set the bid. So you have no say anymore in what your max CPC bid is, what your max cost per click bid is. And it's a much, much better system if it could work. And often, and many times it does work. It's much more intelligent because essentially you're saying, hey, I don't need to control. I have no reason to control what I pay for a click. That doesn't really matter to me. As long as you get me sales for $4 or $3, or as long as for every dollar I spend, I'm, I'm getting an average of $2 or $3 or $4 back in, in revenue, then I'm happy. Don't, I don't ever need to know what I paid for a click. It doesn't matter. So that's the that's the alternative newer method of bidding. Of course, it's a complicated, big subject. There's a lot of supplemental reading we have about um, automated bidding on our website, and I encourage anybody to take a look there. Um, but that's the traditional and the and the new way of bidding at a very high, simplified level. And you know, I want to point out one of the key points you made. Um, if if something is ROI positive. Right. People always ask me, whoa, what do I set my monthly budget at? If you're doing something that if your marketing efforts are ROI positive, why set a cap on it? Why put right. You know what I mean? If 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 you're making decent money from running Google ads and you love the results you're getting, why put a cap on to to cap on bidding or anything like that for, for that matter of sort? Another quick question. So one of the things that we mentioned earlier was that Google ads, it's, it could be competitive, right? It, it's, it's really, really competitive. And I think that one of the key ways you stand out and kind of sift through the, the, the customers who those that want your product to ver- those that who don't want your product, who are not interested. It's, it's a combination of things, but one in particular, it's writing compelling ads, Right. How what are your tips on writing compelling ads to help you stand out much better? It's a great question. My the I have a few I have a few or a couple of thoughts on approaching writing either your headlines or your ads or um, headline for a website, let's say or a landing page. The principles are the same. It's not necessarily important to stand out. What you really want to do is communicate. What people do, people try to stand out so much that they know, they end up not communicating anything. They end up looking like clowns, and you don't want to buy from a clown. You know, you want to buy from a business. Um, so, if your headline or your ad could be slapped on any competitor's product and work, you have a problem. It's a great test. Right? So let's say you're selling LED light bulbs. You're selling house plants. Look at three, four competitors. If 
if this and and just pretend that this same ad that you wrote for yourself was being run by one of your competitors, could it work? Then you don't have enough specific information. You're not communicating what's you what you're all about. Another point. Look at your ad. Is the ad objective or subjective? If you say things like these are the best LED bulbs on the market, we have the best warranty, the highest customer satisfaction rating. Those are all subjective. They don't mean anything. The best LED bulbs on the market, what does the best mean? Um, if you say something like LED bulbs with, um, with 140 watts of brightness for just $5.99, it doesn't seem flashy or creative, but you're actually being very clear because $4.99 means the same thing to everybody. 120 or 140 watts, I don't remember what I said, of brightness means it's an objective fact. So try to go look. This is a great exercise. Look through your ad. If you spot anything you see that is subjective, replace it with something objective. The word best, this, that doesn't mean anything to anybody. Having, you know, you're going to have so much fun. You're going to love it. Um, uh, Even the word inexpensive or affordable is subjective because affordable to me could be different. The word affordable can can mean something different to me than it might mean to you. Um, Last thing, research. Read the ad. Could could, could, Could it have been written without doing research? If you think the ad could have been written or if you wrote the ad without doing research, it's not a good ad. And again, it goes into look into LED bulbs. What is the language people use? What is the mechanism called? What is the technology called? What is the color referred to? What is the the specifications for the country? That's information that you might that 99.9% will be left out of an ad, but you will uncover things that will make you sound in your communication like somebody who knows what they're talking about. So those are the three things that I would really, they're very simple, very easy to follow, very easy to do. Those are the three things that I would, I would keep in mind while writing. And I think that's brilliantly said, Isaac. And I, I learned this actually from you, where if, if you write something like, oh, best, whatever it is that you're advertising, that's, that's just a bad start. Write things that are about the business, and it pretty much means the same to everybody else, like the four ninety nine example that you gave. And it's a good way of just sieving through and getting the customers that you ideally want, not the people who are tire kickers and they're not going to purchase your product or they're going to be at least the hardest people to work with. Now, one of the things that, apart from writing compelling ads. What are some other KPIs that small business owners should look for? Let's say I just started my account, have some ads running. What are some KPIs that I should look for to determine the the successful the success of my ad so far? Ultimately, you have to be oriented towards profit. Um, it's not about click-through rate. It's not about CPC. It's not about quality score. You have to be oriented towards profit. And to be oriented towards profit, that means you need to understand what the goal is. If you're, if you're managing an account for a client, you need to have this conversation up front. What do we want to accomplish here? Not, not what do you want in a perfect world? Because everybody, every client wants in a perfect world for an unlimited amount of sales for zero advertising cost. But what do you want to accomplish in a realistic world? And the way I phrase this, the, the way I phrase this to a client is if I came to you with a bag of conversions 
at what po- point in the negotiation would you tell me, give me all of them that you have? That's the way I phrase it to a client. Because if I tell them, what is your goal? It's like, well, I don't know, to get the lowest possible CPC and the lowest possible CPA and um, um, get all my advertising for free. But if I say, hey, here's, I have, I have a thousand sales in my bag, my backpack. I'll give them to you. You got it's, it's an all or nothing deal. I'll give them to you for 30 bucks each. Uh, no. Okay. 12 bucks each. Oh, 12 bucks each. I'll take all of them. Right. Cause I'm making, I'm making, you know, three, a three X return then on each sale. So that's, that's your, that's your benchmark. So that's what you're aiming towards. That's the number you're aiming towards. And then it's, it, then you don't need to worry about individual KPIs. Then you look at the campaign. Is the campaign making money? And, and of course, you drill into the parts of the campaigns from, from the account to the campaign, to the channel, to shopping, to smart shopping, to different ad groups, different locations. You could drill into it however you'd like, and you try to make it more profitable, and you maybe either cut out the non-profitable areas or you work on the non-profitable areas and you try to increase performance and so on and so forth in the website. But once you actually go, the reason why people get so confused of what KPI should I, I should report on is because they've never oriented themselves with clear goals and targets and benchmarks with a client in the first place. I think that that's that is brilliantly said, Isaac, in, in terms of, you know, we mentioned this earlier as well. If something it's you said it, the main goal is profit, right? If it's profitable, ideally, you could look for parts of the account like, you know, ad groups, maybe writing better ads to make it more profitable. But you want to focus mostly on profit. If something is profitable, don't, you know, don't, don't fuss over the KPIs. Like I remember I used to obsess about those KPIs, like click through rate, quality score. I mean, that is important too, but ideally, as you mentioned it, the ultimate end goal, why you're running ads is pretty much to generate profit. Yes. 100%. Another quick question that I wanted to ask you was one of the, the, the biggest questions I get, it's let's say, I'm a small business owner and I'm running ads online, which is great. How do I track? Is there any tips that you have to, of how to track ads that come in that come in online? But ideally, let's say, for example, some somebody walk and they're they're in the store, for example. Let's say you're, you're walking on a sidewalk and you look up, um, you know, restaurants near me. Is there any way that a small business owner could keep track of that if the person comes in the actual store? You're saying you're you're saying that if a person what if a person repeat your question, I want to make sure I understand it. Got it. So if if a person how can a small business owner track online leads, but also like offline, let's say, for example, I'm a restaurant. Uh Okay, got it. Meaning if you're if you're running, if you're a restaurant and you're running ads, how do I know if people are, are responding to the ads by coming into my store? Great. Yep. Is that, is that your question? Yep. Um, there are there are expensive ways of doing this, but for you're not. I don't. I think we're talking to the, the typical small business owner, restaurant owner, not necessarily going to set up a whole uh, system. Then you have to sort of um, you have to you have to ask customers, and that's an effective way of doing it. Okay, so you, you and you compel customers to to either tell you because you could if you if you're a restaurant and you send people to your website. And you offer a coupon that's redeemable in store or it's redeemable over the phone for a discount. That's one way. And you, and you offer an exclusive discount for the ad campaign. 
So that's one effective way of getting a sense of whether or not um, your campaign is working if you don't have an online trackable event. Now, if you're advertising on, on let's say, Google Maps, then you could log into your Google My Business profile and you could see like how many people are asking for directions or how many people are viewing my, my, Google, my Google My Business listing. And I actually don't know. I should look into this if whether or not if AdWords Express or Google Ads Express, I don't even know if that product still exists or if there's some sort of integration. But at the very least, you can get a sense, run, run, a, run a campaign for a week spend a few hundred dollars and then just eyeball, eyeball the results and look at your Google My Business profile and see if you're seeing a significant increase over that period of time that you've been running your ads in visits to your, you know, organic, did your organic search results go up? Did more people start searching for your business organically on Google? Compare it. You have to like, if you're not going to be hiring an agency and implementing these solutions that are, you know, backend tracking and so on and so forth, then you got to just get a little savvy with, getting an instinctive eyeball look at some of this stuff. And, and you'll know, like if you're running an ad campaign, you run it, pause it, five days. Take a look at your, look at, look at, look at Google Analytics. Did you, have, did you get more organic search? Look at your, my, my profile list and more people look at your pictures and your images. And then my last point I would make, especially if you're a small business, you're, forget the ad campaign for a second. Make sure your online presence is very polished. Make sure your website is good. Make sure your images are high quality. Make sure your your my your business your Google My Business page is set up. Make sure you're getting reviews. Work on all that stuff. It's boring. It's difficult. Of course, running an ad campaign and the idea of clicking on clicking around for five minutes, giving Google a hundred bucks, and then the customers pour in. Of course, that's exciting, but it never works that way because it's ex- like you said, Daniel. It's extremely competitive. It's cutthroat. Each click is going to be expensive. So you got to make sure that you're really dialed in competitively in every other area of the customer journey. So it's the ad, it's your website, it's your landing page. It's your, if you're a restaurant, it's the product photography. I can't tell you how many times every day, literally every day we turn clients down because it's like, listen, there's no way we could help you. Like we're not a web design company. We're not a, we're not a small business coaching company. You have a lot of work to do before it even makes sense to pay us to run ads because it's otherwise we're sending traffic to uh, a really subpar user experience and your, your lunch money is going to get eaten. No pun intended. Now, I think that, that that's a brilliant approach. I like, I like the, the omni-channel kind of approach, making sure that you, the, the word you use is dialed in. And I think that's a perfect way to describe how everything should be across the board. Now, for the small business owner out there, you know, managing this ideally from outsourcing it to to an agency and that's that's one option but another option let's say the 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 DIYer for example are there any tools or any anything that you think that would help to help them manage that account effectively do you recommend any third party tools anything like that I would strongly recommend optimizer um if you're in the Google Ads space Bing you know Microsoft Ads um, Google Optimize is great, and I would. I'm very good friends with Fred Valleys. He's the he's the founder of Optimizer. Uh, it's a great software to help manage campaigns quickly, more effectively. Get a snapshot of the data, um, and yeah, I would I would recommend Optimizer. I think that that is a great tool, Optimizer. I've I've you I currently don't use that um, right now, but I've used it in the past, and it's 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 a brilliant tool. Now, as let's say for example, right? How do you see how do you see Google Ads 
evolving over over the next year or two what are your thoughts on that um i think that google is going to continue to redact search term data and which is what they're already doing search terms are the the actual things words phrases that a user types in that triggers a keyword i think google is going to begin to redact search term data i think google is going to work is going to move away from exact and phrase match and match types i think google might eventually remove keyword targeting altogether i think they're going in that direction it's like no more keyword targeting it's all it's all audience targeting and it'll still be search and it'll incorporate search and voice and mobile um and everything um, but I, th- I think eventually Google's going to move away from keywords. And that, that's brilliant. You mentioned voice. I think voice is it. I wouldn't say it's the next big thing because it's already here. It's something that just people have to learn now and adapt to. Now, Isaac, as we come to a close here, you know, a lot of things could get challenging when you're managing your your campaigns yourself. Your ad account might get suspended or you might run into problems where you have questions for, for example, how can a small business owner get in contact with Google or how, what are some ways that they could have their issues resolved? They just got to call Google, Google support. You can call Google support. It's gotten better over the years. Um, and you'll get somebody on the phone and you'll get somebody to email you back. They're pretty good with it. You know, All right, Isaac, it has been a pleasure having you on the show. And I want to thank you for passing on your knowledge to us and educating almost having almost a a quarter of a million students you've now educated this podcast is through this podcast you'll be able to educate more and more people and i really want to thank you for coming on the show and i thank you for your time thank you so much daniel it was a real honor to be here and i wish you uh, a ton of success with the podcast and everything you're doing with your agency and one more thing before we go really quickly, where can people find you? And, you know, for those that want to learn more about you, your agency, your courses, where can people find you? Sure. If you want to look up any of my educational stuff, um, you could just really search my name on Google, Isaac Rudansky. You'll find my courses on Udemy. If you'd like to check out the agency overdrive, it's a great program. Go to adventureppc.com. Uh, well, go to adventurepbc.com. That's our website. I'm going to find the pull up the exact URL of the agency overdrive. Um, I think it's yeah forward slash training forward slash agency overdrive. Um, I'm sure Daniel could send out a link or whatever it may be if anybody if any but anybody asks. Um, our website is adventurepbc.com. Uh, that's where you could look, look around and, and check out our services, our clients, more of our case studies, and just, you know, search for our name, my name on the internet. You'll find, you'll find me Twitter, LinkedIn. Great, Isaac. Great. I'll, I'll make sure to link, you know, everything we were talking about down in the show notes and show notes below to make sure that everybody could have that for reference. But again, thank you for your time and thank you for being on the show. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. grip on your marketing podcast the number one source for no bs actionable marketing advice make sure to visit our website podcast.buzzcrowd.net where you can view show notes subscribe to the show in itunes stitcher or via rss to never miss an episode while you're at it if you found value in this show we'd appreciate a rating on itunes or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show that would help us out too Until next time, this is Get a Grip on Your Marketing Podcast, signing off.